That's exactly right. It's News Talk 1010, the most powerful and uh, most respected radio station in the solar system, I'd say. It's certainly in Toronto or on this block of Toronto. Anyway, people love us, and that's the point. And keep listening. And of course you'll want to keep listening because we now are going to focus on our smart speakers. That's when we get two of the smartest, funniest, most interesting people from around the city. And they come on, they rip through the headlines with us. And today we're being joined by Aaron Morrison, longtime political strategist and principal at Morrison Communications. Jamie Ellerton, founding partner at Canaptis and longtime political strategist. And Bruce Arthur, Toronto Star columnist. I said two people. You are, in fact, three people. If you count me, that's four people. <laughs> what a party we're having on Friday. Friday afternoon here on the old News Talk 1010 radio. Hey Scott, guys. I'm a little worried that I'm the third in that in that group, that there's two really smart people and also also me. You were actually I thought I was just three owls in a trench coat. There we go. Uh, you were actually uh, first on the run sheet, Bruce, but I uh, I deliberately am biased against you and I put you down. Um, been reading what people say about you on the text board of the Toronto Star. Very strong opinions. Let's start with politics. What matters more to people in this wide world than politics? Uh, so here's the headline as far as I'm concerned. I'll start with you, Jamie. We're not having a, an election in 2024 because the NDP said that they reached a deal with the Liberals on pharmacare, which means that the confidence and supply agreement, which keeps this minority parliament in business, is going to continue. Good thing, bad thing. What do you think? Well, for the Liberals, it buys them time to figure out how to turn things around. Uh, for the NDP, they're going to be able to talk about something else they've delivered on, even if it's pretty weak sauce based off the, the table pounding that Jay has been doing in recent months. I think if you ask the average person, Scott, what pharmacare means, uh, A, they probably don't know. And if they do, they probably think it means having a like single-payer system where you get drugs for free just like you use your OHIP card. But really, it's only going to apply to two drugs, diabetic drugs and uh, birth control. So uh, pretty small potatoes based on how the NDP's talked about this. But I think the biggest win, of course, is the NDP is the Liberals. And they continue to run the table and have uh, the NDP do pretty much what they want as a whim. And they bought themselves some time under Justin Trudeau to figure out how to turn things around. Because if it's an election themselves today, as you know, they'd be completely obliterated. Aaron, my argument would have been that... It was an opportunity for the NDP to separate themselves from the Liberals, who, let's face it, are, as Jamie points out, running low in the polls. So they want to get some separation from them. And even for the Liberals, it allows them to distance themselves from the NDP, maybe refocus their agenda a bit, and so that there was actually some political benefit in breaking up this deal. And it didn't actually and instantly mean that we would be plunged into an election. Is that all kooky thinking? Yeah, because I think the most important thing that, that Jagmeet Singh and the NDP could have done for themselves, electorally speaking, is to deliver on a promise they made in the last campaign, and that is a national pharmacare program. Uh, and <laughs> I, I cannot agree with Jamie. I mean, this is huge. It is absolutely historic. It is a piece of legislation that creates a single-payer pharmacare system built right into Medicare. It'll be coast-to-coast, -coast, uh, and and, you know, it'll it'll take time for that all to come together. But the legislation is there. We have a law saying that your drugs are going to be paid for single player. And that's what the deal was. Now, Jameet Singh also got two bonuses out of this. And uh, as Jamie says, that's two classes of drugs that we're going to get free single payer right away. 
all forms of birth control, including things like Plan B and IUDs, uh, and all types of diabetes medication. And let me tell you, we know right now there are mums and dads who are not able to make ends meet because they've got a little one with diabetes, uh, and the medication is expensive. Uh, we know that there are women who really would love to be on birth control, but cannot afford to shell out 50 bucks month after month after month after month for years on end. So this is, I think this is life-changing uh, for many people. And it is the biggest thing to happen to Canadian healthcare since Tommy Douglas. Wow. Well, holy snap, Bruce, beat that. Oh, I think sadly the biggest thing to happen in Canadian healthcare since Tommy Douglas was the fact that COVID took an already weakened system and pounded it into the ground, and now we're going to have a whole lot of problems to come out of that. One thing that's interesting, just beyond the politics, because obviously the Liberals needed this and have done what is not quite the bare minimum to keep it keep the supply agreement going, but uh, in terms of the policy, uh, one thing about this is I think Jamie's right in that this is not a very big. Pharmacare plan like this is not a, a, a wide ranging transformation of how pharmacare works in Canada. But Aaron's right in that this is a start, right? Like even if it never goes beyond this, at least you do have like I have friends who have diabetic kids and this is going to change their life. Um, and I have adults, adult friends who have diabetes. This is going to change their life. Um, th this stuff is is meaningful and it opens up a framework for this to be expanded in future for a stronger pharmacare program. But whenever we talk about how we change things in this country, this is just the macro piece. When we talk about the housing crisis, when we talk about healthcare, when we talk about pharmacare, we seem to want to change what has been a longstanding systemic problem overnight. That's not how it works. It's not how it's going to work with any of these things. No one's going to change the housing crisis. All you can do is ameliorate it. Same here with pharmacare. It's a good thing. All right. Hey, let's talk about former Liberal candidate Kevin Vaughn, who's now the uh, Member of Parliament in Fort York's Bedina. He says that he's open uh, to joining the Conservatives and running for Pierre Polyev in the, in the last election. This is a guy, of course, he... he was nominated as a liberal. Uh, then they discovered that he had withheld information in the vetting process. He had been charged with sexual harassment at one point. It didn't proceed, but he didn't disclose this. Then he was been sitting as an independent ever since. Um, I noticed that when he said he was open to running for the conservatives, there's a giant sound of nothing coming from the conservatives. Aaron, do you think this guy's a catch for them as sitting member of parliament deep in downtown Toronto, or is this guy's career over and it's gruesome? <laughs> I think his career's over and it's gruesome, if those are the two choices. Yeah, look, Pierre Polyev is not going to win Spadina Fort York. The Conservatives are not going to win Spadina Fort York. So why would they put a controversial independent who has been dogged by a sexual misconduct uh, concern on the ballot, like just just to hurt them a little bit until election day and then cut them loose. I mean, come on. And, you know, the real <laughs> the real victims here are the people of Spadina, Fort York. They've been grifted. They were told they were getting a liberal. <laughs> they weren't told they were getting somebody who had sexual misconduct uh, allegations made against uh, him. They weren't told they were getting an independent, and they sure as heck weren't told they might get a conservative representing them. It's Spadina Fort York. I mean, come on. This is an NDP or liberal right. It was Olivia Chow's writing, for goodness sake. This is not a conservative writing. Bruce, are you excited about the possibility of the conservatives making a breakthrough uh, based on Kevin Wong's openness to them? 
Oh, how exciting for them. The one thing is they don't need Kevin Vaughn, because if you take a look at the people who are going to run for the conservatives in the next election, even though that list is not completely complete, they already have enough off-putting and repellent candidates, right? They already have enough, like, absolutely kind of unpleasant political animals. They don't need one in a riding that they would lose if this guy was their candidate or not. Jimmy, do you want him to join uh, these repellent candidates and animals, as Bruce calls them, who are running for your party? Yeah, I think Bruce's characterization is absolutely ridiculous, first and foremost, and uh, quite frankly, I've actually been offensive, but I'm not going to clutch too many pearls over that. I think for Kevin Vaughn, he's actually serious about this. Uh, he should go find the nomination, run for it, and win it democratically, as opposed to kind of doing this public trial balloon and hoping that the conservatives are going to bring him over. I do know that there have been conversations that he essentially he has initiated in trying to find another seat in the 905 to be able to run. Uh, and it wouldn't be instant out of what York if it had to be, but I don't think he's being welcomed with open arms and he's kind of just getting, yeah, okay, maybe and like nothing else would be on that. I think for, for Kevin at this point, you have to ask like, what are you trying to do and how is he going to see the same face and like rebuild his career? Because at this point, he is going to be a one term MP and uh, being popular on Twitter isn't going to pay the bills afterwards. Uh, yeah, he's uh, over. He's done. Like dinner. Like uh, it's curtains, buddy. All right. We're going to have to pause there, but don't go anywhere because all three are coming back and we're going to talk more smart speakers when we get on the other side of traffic. Stay right here. News Talk 1010. Welcome back to News Talk 1010. Here we are on Friday afternoon, getting toward the end of the day, just an hour and 15 minutes to go before our show here on The Rush completes itself. We're talking to our friends at Smart Speakers. We've got Jamie Ellerton, founding partner at Canaptus, longtime political strategist, Aaron Morrison, long-term also a longtime political strategist, now principal at Morrison Communications, and Bruce Arthur, longtime Toronto Star columnist. I, I don't know that it's actually long time. I just said that since everything <laughs> is being introduced as long time. Um, let's stick with Queen's Park for a minute, guys. So Doug Ford has appointed two former staffers to uh, serve on the Judicial Appointments uh, Committee. I think I'm mischaracterizing exactly what the name of that body is. Judicial Appointments Advisory Committee. These are the people that help to recommend and put forward those who will be eligible for judicial appointments in the province of Ontario. He's appointed as chair a fellow named Matthew Bondi, who used to be his deputy chief of staff. He's appointed also to that board a fellow named Brock Vandrick, used to be his director of stakeholder relations. And, you know, this is causing some consternation within the legal community where people are saying, hey, this, this is the body that picks our judges and deems whether or not these people are qualified to be judges and oversee our courts. And it ought not to be this obviously tainted with partisanship. Now, I work my whole life in politics, so I'm not going to pretend that I get all squidgy around patronage. But I do think this is wrong, and I think it's wrong, and it's nothing to do with these two guys. They could be great guys. I'm sure they're very competent. But the judicial stuff should be different, right? Like, this is a unique responsibility, and you do want people who are there not because they worked for Ford and are, as he said uh, today when pressed on this question, like-minded. I think you want people there because they are steeped in the law and matters of the judiciary, and they can assess who is and who is not qualified to be a judge. Aaron, am I being precious? 
Not at all. I also have worked most of my career in politics and this was the do not touch, right? Everybody knows, yes, there are plenty of patronage appointments to all kinds of boards and agencies. You appoint people that you feel comfortable with, but there has always been a very clear rule for as long as I've been around that the judiciary is off limits. And now we have Uh, First of all, prior to these appointments, we have uh, changes from the Ford government that says that the minister can not take the recommendations of this committee. He can just say, yeah, no, thanks. I'm going to I see that you've put some uh, some liberals up here up top. So I guess I'll just scan down the list until I find some other conservatives or whatever. Right. Uh, And and now you have Doug Ford saying, yeah, my whole purpose here is to appoint like minded people. This is terrifying. These should be the most qualified uh, and fair-minded judges, not friends of Doug Ford sitting on the bench. Jamie, Ford in response, he didn't blink for a second, didn't take a half step back and just shrugged his shoulders and said, guys, I'm not going to appoint somebody from the NDP or the Liberal Party. Uh, those folks are too soft on crime. You think that's a legit rebuttal? I was actually surprised given his uh, tendency to flip-flop on stuff that he actually held ground on this. And I think if you want to take a half glass full as to why, uh, these are two very senior officials in the government of Ontario. And in the issue of crime, especially with the catch and release of the bail system and uh, violent offenders being put back out onto the streets in Toronto, uh, looking to clean up a system and recruit more judges into the judiciary who are going to have a stronger approach uh, to, say, enforcing our laws and keeping people behind bars, especially violent offenders. Uh, I think that's a public policy that the premier is within his own right to do. I think there's been a long history of patronage uh, across political parties, across government, including, frankly, and like having people who donated to the Liberal Party finding themselves appointed to the bench in Alberta because that's uh, the only way to get appointed as a judge and be a popular liberal in that province. Uh, so this is not something that it's actually new. Um, and I think the fact that he stood by this, uh, I think, he look, I don't know the two individuals in question, so we'd have to look at the rest of their resumes to what is. But the fact that they happen to work in the Premier's office as senior government officials, in and of itself, I don't think this is qualifying. Man, Bruce? Oh, uh, I'm going to quote Doug Judson, who's the chair of the Federation of Ontario Law Associations. Um, and he he refers to the premier's comments. You know, I'm not going to put a liberal or an NDP in there. A fundamental and juvenile misapprehension of the importance of an independent judiciary to our justice system and to upholding the rule of law. He also makes the point that this makes this casts aspersions on anyone else that that Ford has made a judge during his time in Ontario. This is crass politicization of the judicial system. And I think what Aaron said is right. This should not be something we do. There's a lot of times in this country where we talk about, oh, this it's Trump style this, it's Republican style that, and it's not actually, right? There are different versions. Our, our, we, you can see karaoke here and there, but Canadian conservatism is fundamentally different on in a bunch of different ways. This is how the politicization of the justice system starts. And that's one of the worst aspects of the American legal system. It's something that we in Canada have avoided. The fact that I appreciate that Doug was so open and honest about how fundamentally he doesn't understand why it's important. And I'm really surprised to see it be defended. All right, we're going to talk more about it later in the show because I've got uh, Rob Benzie from The Star coming on. Um, guys, we don't have a ton of time, but I want to go through each one of you very quickly, 30 seconds. I didn't want to let this anniversary go unremarked. Tomorrow will be two years since Russia invaded Ukraine. We see support 
from the West beginning to really crater in terms of being there for Ukraine. Uh, we're seeing that this war feels like it's stuck in neutral. Um, it is hard to see advantage. It is hard to see an end and an outcome that's acceptable to, uh, to, to the West. Where do you think this is headed? What are your reflections here as we hit this anniversary, Jamie? Uh, my reflections are Canada needs to step up and do more, and I hope what's happening south of the border with the politics in Congress allows for aid to flow. Uh, we know that the Ukrainians' cupboards are bare when it comes to their arms and their ability to fight, which is part of why Russians have some successes on the battlefields in recent weeks. And uh, we need to find the courage and the means to stand by Ukraine, uh, stand behind them and arm them so that they can continue to validly defend their own country and ultimately win this war. Aaron, I'm afraid the isolationism that's infected some of the U.S. political sphere is starting to bubble over here. Am I exaggerating it? No, you're not at all exaggerating it. Uh, Pierre Polyev's conservatives have voted no on aid for Ukraine and a trade deal with Ukraine. Uh, and it is certainly bubbling up over the border, uh, that that um, that isolationism and anti-Ukraine policy. Um, and I'm I'm with Jamie on this. It's two-year anniversary. Things are not certain. It is not certain who will win this war. Um, and uh, if we if we do not stop Vladimir Putin, Ukraine will not be the last country he invades. Uh, Bruce, last word to you, and I'll give you the easy question: How how can we win this? I mean. <laughs> The United States needs to arm Ukraine, along with every other Western nation that cares about freedom and and safety within the European peninsula, um, like the, or the European continent. Um, I'm 100% with Jamie and Aaron that this is a necessity, but it is true. Like you take a look at the polling since uh, I believe it's since about May 2022, the percentage of conservatives who who were answered yes to the question, are we doing too much for Ukraine? It's up over 40% now. It was 19 then. Um, it's it's a worry. But so far, we have seen at least, uh, we've seen a solidarity from can the, the Canadian government. I hope it stays there because the only way this is going to win is if the Ukraine army has bullets. All right, there we have it. Aaron, Jamie, and Bruce, our smart speakers for this Friday. Have a great weekend, guys. Thanks a lot for uh, pinch hitting for us. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Scott. All right, and that's it for the 4 o'clock hour. When we come back, we're going to have our friend Tom Mulcair on, CTV political analyst, former leader of the federal NDP, and he's going to talk to us about that new deal that's been struck around PharmaCare out of Ottawa. Please don't go anywhere. It's going to be interesting when we come back.